And we are live. Welcome to the Citadel Builders podcast. The show revolves around discussions with pleb builders actively looking to create and develop circular economies, advance the use of Bitcoin for long-term savings and day-to-day transactions. We aim to raise awareness of the dangers of ever encroaching government and corporate surveillance, showing people how to take practical steps to increase their privacy and sovereignty. And so doing, we aim to add our voices to those fighting to reduce the corruption made possible by fiat money and its destructive consequences. Block by block, we build and participate in a circular Bitcoin economy of free and sovereign individuals. This show is hosted by we three gentlemen, the ever-pessimistic Doomer Dash, the over-contemplative Meta Mike, and me, the always affable and amicable Andy. We're a value for value podcast, so we ask for a thousand sat donation. And that's here on Fountain or on our site, tokyocitadel.com. And as always, we begin with Doomer Dash and the Japan segment. Dash. Thank you, Andy. So, yeah, as, as usual, there's three things I wanted to touch upon this week. Uh, the first item on the list, it's slightly old news. Okay, so this is from early March um, when this was first an- announced, I believe. But uh, Murakadi, who are a kind of like a free, uh, what do you call it, like a flea market app out in Japan. It's kind of like Yahoo or, uh, sorry, not Yahoo Auction, uh, eBay. Um, but it's more, it's all done within a, a, a smartphone app and it's, um, you know, just regular plebs in Japan selling whatever junk from the houses, CDs, phones, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a very popular, um, application out here. And they announced that they were going to start to sell, um, Bitcoin through the app. And they actually have already, um, they announced that and they, they launched it in early March. So from the 9th of March, you are able now to buy Bitcoin um, through their application. Um, and it, it is slightly old news, but there's a few kind of um, unique things here. And I thought interesting things that, um, you know, thoughts I've had, and I maybe wanted to, to share that hopefully, you know, insight on, on, on our show. Um, but firstly, you know, what's different from the what they're doing you know, Mercari with this um, uh, Bitcoin offer compared to the exchanges that we already have in Japan, such as Bitflyer, um, etc., is that they're making this very, 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 very simple. And so they're actually targeting um, the segment of the population which doesn't even own any Bitcoin, you know, never mind any other sort of shitcoin or, or crypto assets. Um, and you'd be surprised how few Japanese actually own uh, any kind of cryptocurrencies, you know, including Bitcoin. And so, you know, I, there was a bit of data in the news article I read, which said that only f- um, 4% of the Japanese population is actually holding any Bitcoin or other um, crypto assets. And that compares to the US, which is 13.2%, um, which yeah, I, th- I thought was actually higher than that. But according to this data was, you know, 13 and then at the top of the of the list, apparently, in terms of the population, the percentage of the population holding Bitcoin and other crypto assets is Vietnam at number two with 26 percent and United Arab Emirates with 27 percent of the population holding Bitcoin or the crypto assets. So the people at Murakari, um, you know, the management team there who seem very smart you know, um, relatively young compared to other maybe, you know, uh, management teams in Japan, they've identified this as an opportunity because we're starting from a very low base. And also, you know, if you do look at those Japanese who are active in, you know, quote unquote crypto, 
Um, one interesting thing about the, the you know, Miss Watanabe when she's trading crypto is she tends to do high, bigger volume than other other markets. So just a one data point they had in the article was, for example, um, 6.2 percent of trading volume on OpenSea. So that's the NFT, you know, baloney. Um, but that's actually coming from Japan. Um, which I believe is second behind the U.S. So, you know, when the Japanese do get involved, they get involved big. Um, and so I think the hope is from Murakari that if they can, you know, target that 94% of the population which hasn't yet owned any Bitcoin, um, you know, they, they, there's a lot of growth potential there. Some other interesting things are how easy they're making this. And so, you know, one good news thing from a Bitcoin perspective, a Bitcoin maxi perspective, I guess, is they are Bitcoin only right now. Only Bitcoin. But um, the reason they're doing this is not out of any kind of ideological sort of Bitcoin maxi reasoning. It's actually in more about understanding the Japanese psychology and understanding they need to make this as easy as possible. If they have two or more currencies in there, people are not going to know which one. We all know the answer is Bitcoin, of course. But for the average, you know, Miss, Miss Watanabe uh, looking in the app, you know, they want to make this as easy as possible. It's just like, you know, buy Bitcoin. Um, unfortunately, they do have plans in the future to add um, other cryptocurrencies, um, but um, but for, for but for now, Bitcoin only. Another interesting factor is that in Mercari, people have already signed up with an email and a password, and the majority of users have actually already done KYC. Um, even though it isn't required uh, to, to, to buy and sell, but most Japanese anyway do KYC to sort of raise the trust of your profile, if you like, in the app. And so that means that that step is not needed if you want to buy and sell Bitcoin, if you, Bitcoin, if you've already done that. And so what that means is, and the, he the headline number is, you can be buying and selling Bitcoin within 30 seconds. All right. If you're an existing Murakari customer and you've already done your KYC, so there are there are no real other uh, hurdles put in your way. You just have to agree to a sort of terms, terms and conditions and you're good to go. And you can be buying Bitcoin instant, uh, instantly or after 30 seconds. So, you know, I thought that was interesting and smart. Um, the third factor, which is maybe different than a than a you know, traditional exchange is a lot of Japanese when they asked, why don't they own any crypto, you know, quote unquote, crypto Bitcoin is the answer. They're concerned about losing money. They think may well, maybe it'll go down. Um, but a lot of people think of Murakari and especially, you know, if they've, if they've just sold some junk in their house, or maybe if they've got some points back from Murakari, they kind of think of that as a separate wallet. It's, you know, it's play money if you like. Um, and so there's a lot less, concern for, for the average you know miss watanabe to 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 use those points to use that those earnings from from selling things to buy bitcoin at least that's the theory but i think you know from my understanding of, of japanese psychology that kind of checks out i think that's probably probably going to be the case um now you can't uh, withdraw the bitcoin right now they did say as of this moment you can't and so you know it might be in the future that um they will allow it um, but at this moment, yeah, unfortunately, it's just a, it's just an entry on the it's just an IOU. It's just an entry on the uh, on the Mercari database. But, you know, um, given that there are, you know, there's only um, currently three point seven million active trading accounts in Japan on traditional exchanges. So the likes of Bitflyer, only three point seven million compared to a population of one hundred and twenty million. But there are twenty million. OK, um, monthly active users on Mercari. 20 million Japanese using Murakari every month, right? These are monthly active users um, who can now buy, you know, the majority, the majority of those users can 
within 30 seconds start to buy Bitcoin. So, you know, I thought that was that was perhaps, um, you know, potentially bullish. I mean, obviously, from my perspective, it's just an IOU. It's fully KYC'd. Um, you can't withdraw the the Bitcoin. They plan to add shit coins in the future. So I wasn't like overly excited about this. Um, but I did, I did think it was mad interesting and maybe it, was, it would help with sort of raising awareness and, um, general, you know, um, Bitcoin adoption in Japan. Any, any thoughts, gentlemen? Hey, maybe I missed it when you said it, but, um, are they ever going to add withdrawals or is well, it not going to happen? Yeah, they weren't, no, they weren't specific. So I, I, you know, and initially when I saw the news, I thought, oh, they're probably not going to add withdrawals. Um, but they in, they specifically use the kind of language which said, as of this moment, as of this point, we do not allow withdrawals. So when I, when I read that, and 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 you know they're they're smart and they're very deliberate with their language and messaging, and so I thought you could probably read from that this is like a PayPal like play, or I don't know if you remember where PayPal initially did this as well. And, you know, most people, especially skeptical people like Matt O'Dell, I remember at the time, predicted they would never allow withdrawals. And in actual fact, they did eventually. And so I think this is probably, you know, I would, I would, if I was a betting man, I would bet that Murakari, when they're comfortable in the future, they will allow withdrawals if that makes sense, especially if the user base asks for it. And I believe that right now, the reason that they're not doing is, again, they're just trying to keep this as simple as possible. Yeah, I mean that would be great. I mean, twenty million users—that's huge. Even if, uh, even if ten percent, only ten percent people buy Bitcoin, that's that's pretty big. What's your prediction of how many how many of the twenty million users will purchase some Bitcoin? Um, I think it could be quite high. So, I mean, I, and I, I, I am I am on the Mercari app, so I kind of checked it out myself. I didn't sign up for it because I'm, you know religiously against uh, KYC. I'm not going to, so I'm not going to buy any through Mercari, but um, uh, they, it, it looked an incredibly easy thing to do. And I'm thinking if we go into like a bull market, which arguably we're kind of in now, I mean, we don't really, you know, we don't talk about price or whatever on the show so much, but it, there is some, there is some kind of positive price action right now that, you know, you would expect. And if it's just 30 seconds, if you're 30 seconds away, right. And you've got, this money anyway from just selling junk that's lying around your house. I mean, I would imagine a good, you know, double digit percentage of people would, uh, would, would, would at least try it out. Right. Right. And uh, what was that number that you gave about this just stood out to me, but you, you were talking about uh, United Arab Emirates and what was, was, were they the highest percentage in the world for people who own Bitcoin? Well, so they didn't specifically say Bitcoin in this survey. It was just like cryptocurrencies. Um, but it was, yeah, it's, it's 27% and the highest in the in the world, according to the article I read. Wow. Yeah, that's surprising to me. I mean, I wonder how much of that is people moving there, people who already owned Bitcoin or, or shitcoins and moved there for the tax advantages. I, oh, I think sure. I know that I think there are some prominent Bitcoiners who did that, right? Yeah, I, I have no doubt that's that's part of it. Just out of curiosity, did did Middle kind of give a, a rationale for why they did this all of a sudden? I mean, because Bitcoin, yeah. we can do that some other time. You know, they they kind of restricted their, or not Bitflyer, uh, Big Camera recently made some more restrictions because of uh, of compliance issues uh, on their Bitcoin acceptance. Why did Middle all of yeah. a sudden say like, yeah, we're going to get in the game? 
Yeah, they did. They weren't explicit, but the article I read did go into some kind of analysis. And the thinking was that it's part of a wider play to just get um, Japanese consumers used to using digital assets. And there was perhaps some thinking that Murakari could look in the future to expand into something like NFTs, for example. Um, because it would make sense for them, right? If they if they've already got a marketplace, and if there's a market here for people to sort of buy and sell, you know, JPEGs and, and what have you, um, then Mercari would then put be in the be in a sort of pole position as you know, as already having that user base, as already having the infrastructure, and then have, have, having done that work to educate people and get them used to using digital assets. Then you know, that's the thinking they would be able to expand the business line that way. Which I think is pretty smart. If it's yeah, a bit I mean, they, they've they've been um, they've been pretty good about being on the forefront of of different um, different things so far. I mean, they they came on pretty hot and heavy what four or five years ago into uh, into the Japanese market anyway. So I'm I guess I'm not overly surprised that they do it. I'm just um, uh, pleasantly surprised to see somebody doing something in the face of uh, kind of general Japanese resistance to such things. Yeah, well, I think they're doing it in the smart way, the sort of slowly, slowly way. And I'm sure they're working very closely with the regulators. Um, and so, you know, and that's pro that probably also would explain, you know, the kind of Bitcoin only approach, the no withdrawals approach, you know, um, uh, and they've already got the KYC infrastructure in place. So I'm sure the regulators are, are comfortable, you know, with them. Uh, and and this and 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 how how they're approaching this and um, yeah I mean I, I've always found them a very you know pleasant company to 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 work with as a as a, as a user of their service and always thought they were smart um, and remember they also have their sort of fintech division so that you can use I guess it's called Merck Pay or something like that I don't actually use that one myself but um, you know they they have this kind of uh, what would you call it what's the equivalent in the states like a um, well, in Japan, it would be it would be PayPay or something like that, right? Where they, 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 you can do e-cash payments already with the app. So, you know, they're already thinking in that in that direction. So, yeah, I guess it's not a surprise that they they would get into Bitcoin. Um, one one thing I would say though is, so I, so I remember back when, like, I didn't care so much about KYC. Um, you know, there was there was that time, and I remember when Rack Ten started doing Rack Ten wallet where you could buy bitcoin in rack 10 wallet and also you know if you had a rack 10 credit card you could get points and then you could you could buy bitcoin with the points and i remember that being a big incentive you know for me for me personally i was like okay well i'm going to use the rack 10 credit card every, for everything now um and you know I was, I was collecting points and i was just turning that into bitcoin but then you know when i tried to withdraw one time they, they charged like outrageous fees and also there was some like baloney with the travel rule that was introduced and so i ended up just like completely stopping using that plus just general concern about kyc and so i don't know i mean i i, I feel like a bitcoiner out there who's maybe not as worried about kyc um and who was on murakari you know this is just going to be an incentive for them to use the service more and more it's going to incentivize people to get whatever trash they have lying around in the house which could be hidden treasure right and actually get on the app and be proactive and sell that knowing that you can turn that into bitcoin so i can imagine it just being a huge motivating motivating factor for any anyone who gets the bitcoin bug at the same time i would i would advise that if they start screwing with people too much with like overburdensome travel rule baloney or like excessive fees or 
you know, making it difficult to withdraw, that would probably be, you know, it would kind of kill the project. It would kind of make it pointless. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. In terms of the fees right now, um, apparently they're very reasonable. So there's no there's no actual fees to buy and sell. They've just got a spread of 1% each side. So it's like a 2% spread, um, which I don't, I, don't, I don't know how that compares to the other exchanges, but it seems reasonable to me. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how they go. Um, on the note of Rakuten, my, my second story I wanted to bring up this week was around Rakuten and SoftBank. Um, so for anyone who's not familiar with the, those companies, um, Rakuten, SoftBank is the third largest mobile provider in Japan. So they have a cell network out here, but they're, they're a lot more than that. Obviously, most people I think will be interested in, uh, sorry, will be um, will know of the um, SoftBank Vision Fund that um, that um, Sonsan runs. And, you know, he's been a big investor in things like ARM uh, processors, uh, Alibaba, for example. He's, he's quite well known for making those big investments. Um, but um, and then Rakuten are their kind of online marketplace. They're like an Amazon competitor in Japan. Um, and, but they also do, um, financial services. So they have a, um, an, a securities company and they have a bank. Um, and they're also the fourth largest mobile company. So they recently got into the mobile network game. So there's actually four mobile carriers now in, in Japan. But what I've been, I've been following these two companies closely because I think they're both smart companies. Now we, we mentioned previously, you know, soft, soft bank have made, you know, investments in ARM, for example, which is a, which was a great bet when they did it. Um, Rakuten, as I mentioned, had been very early selling Bitcoin through their Rakuten wallet service. Um, and so, you know, they, they you know, they, I think they're good ones to watch. But what, what's also good to watch is how they've really been struggling for, I think, you know, working capital. Um, so they've both been kind of selling the the family assets, the family silver, if you like. Um, so SoftBank have actually announced they will be they've sold almost all of their uh, holdings of Alibaba, and so and that amounts to um, something like seven billion dollars of uh, seven billion US, um, which they they had um, still been holding, but they've actually divested almost all of that now in a prepaid forward contracts it's some kind of derivative that they've done but essentially that you know the long and short of it is they're they're they're, they're exiting that position and they're and they're getting the um the, li the liquidity right they're getting the cash um rakuten also have announced that they will be um actually their rakuten bank will be um on the stock exchange will be floated on the stock exchange um later this month um, and they're actually the largest net bank in Japan in terms of the number of accounts. They have 14, one, four, 14 million accounts. Um, and that's something like 2 billion USD, uh, the, the total market cap that that's being valued at. Um, and Rakuten are actually selling 30% of that. So they'll, they'll keep 60, 60 something percent of the holdings for them you know, themselves, but they're selling 30% of the, you know, a, a cash generating part of the business. And it's interesting to look at Rakuten because most of the business units are profitable, but, but, but their mobile rollout has been a huge cash drain. Um, and then SoftBank have obviously that, you know, have, have struggled. I mean, they actually, um, they took their mobile part of the business public. Um, I think that was a year or two ago. And so we're just seeing this, this, these two companies, I, th I believe, being squeezed and being forced to, to sell things off and, and, and get access to liquidity. And I just wondered if that told the story overall of the, you know, the, the macroeconomic conditions. And um, it's interesting to watch these, these 
companies kind of struggle. And it's interesting to see Rack 10. I believe their debt was also downgraded from A minus to B, a triple B plus, you know, in March and things like that. And, and also that they issued junk bonds. Um, I think it was late last year or early this year, yielding something like 6.7%. And so, you know, it seems that they're really struggling. And um, it just it just be interesting to see that going forward if if the if you know if the financial systems if the liquidity remains kind of tight globally you know how are these two um you know very important companies i think in japan go, going to fare um any any thoughts on those two gentlemen i mean it's interesting that they would they would offload alibaba uh just considering uh, geo geopolitical tensions and what's going on with the U.S. and how they're they're closing up to the U.S. market more and more, becoming more and more, as we mentioned uh, multiple times, they're more and more uh, of a vassal state. I wonder if they if that's as much a business decision as it is a decision to uh, placate uh, some bigger entity in the U.S. I think you've nailed it. I think, and that was mentioned in in an article that I read that there was perhaps something there as well in terms of you know the Chinese Communist Party looking to break up some of the big tech over there. So Alibaba would be a target of that. And, you know, whether that was perhaps some some factor in the um, in them divesting of, of, of the asset. Um, also, you know, there was there's been a somewhat of a run up this year, I believe, something like a 40 percent from from the lows um on alibaba and a few a few other chinese equities and so there has been so i, I read some somewhat of a trend of, of people sort of selling into that um you know up, 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 uptick if you like and, and just looking to exit now while, while the going's good so there could, there could be an element of that as well and sunny boy is the, he's always uh, you know i i don't know specifically i'm always amazed that he manages to be uh, a billionaire because every time I see him, he's always invested in something that fails and he's lost X billion dollars. I wonder how he's, he manages to stay afloat, considering uh, at least what what seems to be on the surface is his uh, his you know degenerate level <laughs> positions in all these companies. Well, and famously, he lost money on Bitcoin as well, right? Um, apparently, he he bought at the high and sold. <laughs> Not at the high, so um, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, next thing he'll be buying is probably Ethereum and and losing his shirt on that as well. So um, look look out for Sonsan and and maybe 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 sort of a Jim Cramer like you know re reverse Sonsan ETF could be a good um, a good option to, uh, uh, to 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 bet against him. Go for um, it, boy. <laughs> so um, on on the last the last story of the week is Warren Buffett's uh, trip to Japan. Um, which happened the other week, and I thought that was quite interesting. Um, Andy, you had shared a thread, uh, a, a Twitter thread from Western Nakamura on Twitter, which sort of had some speculation around that, which I thought was quite interesting. I thought maybe we could talk to that. But the the outline was that you know Western Nakamura had identified this was a very interesting development that Warren Buffett, you know, ninety plus years old would choose to get on a plane and fly out all the way to Japan, you know, for what reason? Why did he feel the need to get on a plane and, and fly out here? Um, and especially considering that, you know, as most people know, Warren Buffett has taken significant positions in the five large trading um, houses out here. So Itochu being, I think, the first one he invested in, but uh, Marubeni, Mitsui, Sumitomo and Mitsubishi. Uh, you know, the five, I believe he owns something like 7.5% of each company now. And he, um, when, when he made his initial 5% acquisition, he didn't 
come to Japan. Um, um, and But he did write a letter to each of the five CEOs, apparently, and promised them he would never take more than a 10% stake without their uh, without getting their permission. So why now does he feel the need, you know, to fly all the way out to Japan? And um, basically, the long and the short, the sort of summary of um, Western Nakamura's take is that, you know, could this be something to do with imminent rate rises? And considering that Warren Buffett had been taking his positions in these trading houses by actually look, uh, taking on J Japan yen denominated debt, extremely low interest rate, um, essentially getting, you know, I mean, it's, it's almost like a arbitrage, right? Because he's getting, I think it's something like 1%, maybe it was in this thread. Um, but if you think about the, the, the yield you just get from these stocks, he's actually, you know, it's, 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 it's almost free money for Warren Buffett. And if you consider that all of these five trading companies are very much exposed and involved in commodities and if you consider that you know there's a lot of macroeconomists economists um, Lynn Alden for example who believe that this decade is going to be structural, structurally inflationary and that uh, commodities are will do well will perform well in that kind of environment you know this just looks like a, a, a very smart play but you know again why 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 fly out to Japan and, and um Western Nakamura's take was that, you know, he, maybe he's going to lock in more funding while he can, because maybe he knows something that we don't know, which is that the, you know, the Bank of Japan is going to make a move soon to raise rates from the historical lows they're at now. Um, gentlemen, any thoughts? Well, coming off the back of um, the bank collapses in the U.S., I mean, reports were that, you know, every private jet in the world was coming to Omaha, Nebraska back then, uh, or a couple of weeks ago when uh, Signature and uh, uh, Silver Bank and the rest of them were all, uh, you know, collapsing. Um, it would make sense that he also has to take care of the downstream effects, considering, right, uh, Japan's pretty precarious situation, like any, any ripple, you know, could send the yen spiraling or send you know the um the 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 uh, the jgb markets you know through the floor so i mean he's got to be in a position where he he may either he's maintaining stability and or pulling a danny devito from other people's money and looking to you know uh be a shark and and uh grab up a bunch of uh uh the distressed assets like he did with Bank of America. So I'm curious, you know, what plays out. It's hard to know. I mean, I like Weston. Um, he he usually has his uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on. So I've appreciated his commentary throughout. I'm curious to see what plays out over the next, you know, couple of weeks. You know, uh, Buffett not being, you know, the Bitcoiner favorite, but he's certainly no moron, right? Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, Mike, I think you had a comment. Yeah, were there um, were there any other indicators that the that Japan was intending to raise rates, or is he basing that speculation off of the fact that Buffett traveled here? Yeah, he's basing it on the fact that he traveled out here. I mean, also we've obviously had the changeover, right, from Kuroda to Ueda as the the chief of the BOJ. So the, there's that timing as well. 
However, I don't know. Based, on, I just think what Andy just said now is very interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but the whole shark, you know, sort of in 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 the bloody waters looking for distressed assets is probably a good shout as well. Um, and you can imagine if there are banks who are sort of desperate, um, you know, that it would be the trading houses that they would go to. But if there was a if there was a significant amount of capital that was required to prop up these kind of failing assets and 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 the, and the japanese bank stocks had also been hit a few weeks ago when you know when there was that sort of globally when the bank stocks were, were dropping yeah you you, you and, and and i and i remember seeing buffett in an interview actually saying you know he <laughs> he, he he was kind of you know the, the he's he, he was always open to offers from the trading houses in terms of deals they could do together and i had just assumed that you know, he was thinking something, I don't know, with commodities in maybe Southeast Asia or something. But, you know, based on what Andy's just said right now, maybe it was like, you know, uh, hey, if you're in trouble, you can call me and I'll, I'll bail you out. But of course, at a, at a big cost, which is, you know, I take control of, of these of these assets. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually inclined to think more in terms of what Andy's saying rather than the, than the rate rise thing. Mm hmm. But yeah, that's the uh, so yeah. We, we, listen, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, we'll report any updates or, or insights we get um, on on the show. But uh, I think we're going to be we're going to be in for an interesting rest of the year. Back to you, Andy. Thank you, sir. That was Japan. Very interesting. Always what's going on over here doesn't get necessarily international recognition, but there's lots of interesting things that go on over here. But as for that we move on to the builders segment today we look at collider wallet collider is a company that builds tools and services to make financial markets available to everyone across borders instantly and using bitcoin's lightning network collider exchange is the world's first lightning native derivatives exchange uh, they they leverage bitcoin's lightning network to allow users to instantly open and close positions directly uh, to and from their Lightning wallets with minimal fees. Users don't need to make deposits in advance to or prefund accounts, allowing them to make and take on minimal custodial risk and receive instant settlement. Collider offers the fastest and easiest trading experience of any Bitcoin derivative exchange, according to their uh, site uh, statements. Collider Wallet is a Lightning wallet that allows users to peg all or part of their Bitcoin balance to a fiat currency using synthetic stablecoins created with Collider derivatives. Collider offers institutional grade trading infrastructure and can work directly with financial services um, and providers or institutions looking to access APIs and hedging services. Now the, uh, the synthetic stablecoin on Collider kind of popped up at me, so I was just curious, what are they? Well, uh, stable coins, they say, refer to cryptocurrencies whose price is pegged to that of a more stable asset, usually uh, the dollar or another fiat currency. Uh, Collider and their synthetic stable coins are stable coins that are created using derivatives on the Collider exchange. Uh, in other words, Collider offers users the ability to hedge their price exposure to Bitcoin by pegging all or part of their balance to a fiat currency. That's their synthetic stable coin. And uh, for their wallet, Collider Wallet is a lightning service wallet designed to offer industry leading user experience. Uh, Collider Wallet is an easy to use browser extension that works 
uh, with the Collider Exchange and has native integration um, of synthetic stable coins, as we mentioned before. Uh, users can peg in and peg out from their Bitcoin balance uh, with different currencies. And Collider offers the ability to send and receive uh, through Lightning applications, to sign for applications, and to use the Lightning login. I've known Collider for a while, and they are pretty big on Lightning itself. Um, I'm not a trader uh, as such, but uh, a lot of what they're doing uh, in the background is, I think, interesting to a lot of people. Um, I know them through the Blue Wallet. They used to have, a, and a, if you would go to their app section, you could connect pretty quickly. So I think uh, going forward, I'll be curious to see what Collider does. Now, I know that primarily for European users, I think Collider is German, actually. Um, so I'll be curious to see if they make a play for any of the U.S. market at some point or if they stay in Europe. Uh, you can find their, uh, more about them on their, uh, on, their Solite, uh, on, their Solite, on their site, which is Collider with a K, K-O-L-L-I-D-E-R dot X-Y-Z. Or you can see them on, find them on Twitter at Collider underscore trade. So that is it for the Builders segment. And we move on from this to the main topic, which is Dash. What are we talking about? Thanks, Andy. So this week we're going to be talking about a topic very dear to my heart, which is that of escaping the fiat mines. So by way of explanation, although you know maybe none, none would be needed, but the fiat. When I say the fiat mines, I'm talking about our. Oh, fiat jobs i'm talking about the you know the jobs that we work in order to pay the bills um especially for those of us with families you know we're, we're paying for our um you know the grocery bills uh, the medical bills you're paying for your kids education etc um and that's all priced in, in fiat money and you need to work a fiat job to pay for it all on the other hand um, we know that there's this new open permissionless monetary network that has emerged, Bitcoin, uh, which is the reason we're, that we're all here today, um, which has def very different characteristics to fiat. Um, but but maybe, maybe similar to fiat is that, you know, you can build on top of this open permissionless monetary network. In, in the fiat world, it's, it's permissioned um, and you need to play a political game and have political... Uh, access in order to to maximize your your returns and increasingly even just to survive um but in the bitcoin world that isn't the case it's it's permissionless and anybody can start a business um there's no um limits in terms of borders uh, uh or or even trading hours you know you can be 24 7 um 365 and on all across the world you can trade with people um, and, and build your business and connect into this this network and build your business. I mean, um, uh, so, you know, what, I, what I'm increasingly thinking is, you know, at what point does one need to look into actually not just sort of buying Bitcoin, maybe and opting out as a savings technology, but actually think, okay, in terms of your career, in terms of what you're doing day to day, you know, do you need to be exiting the fiat mines and do you need to actually be building on Bitcoin? And you need to be doing that for, you know, kind of philosophical, ideological reasons, because you believe in Bitcoin. Do you need to be doing that for Bitcoin to succeed? 
um, because otherwise it's just a bunch of LARPers who you know are hodling, but no no one's actually spending it or using it or or, or building on it. Um, do you even need to consider doing this because the fiat mines are collapsing and it's actually dangerous to stay in the fiat mines? You know, or um, if you've got a good position in the fiat mines, you know maybe it would be smarter just to stay there and be kind of a subverse subversive you know a sort of fifth column within those and you use your fiat money to save in bitcoin and you let everyone else do the hard work in terms of building out on on, on top of the built bitcoin network so these are the kind of things i i'm thinking about a lot and, and another thing that's really prompted my thinking is that i've noticed that the more one understands bitcoin and the more, more one gets into it the less useful you know, you are in the in the fiat mines, right? So, I mean, uh, to be really effective in the fiat mines, it, you know, it, it helps to believe in in fiat, to believe in the kind of American dream, <laughs> right? And and to to you know, you want to have a second car, you want to have a bigger house, uh, you want to have that holiday to Hawaii, whatever. Um, and so, you really you can you can kind of endure the fiat mines and even maybe enjoy it, and uh, you know, enjoy that kind of progress in ri rising up the ranks and getting bigger and bigger bonuses. But if you're, you know, again, if you're if you're orange pilled, I, I found at least personally that these kind of things, the American dream falls a bit flat. In fact, you realize it's not a dream. It's a it's a systematic system. You know, it's kind of ex systematic exploitation um, and it's not really sustainable. And, you know, you start thinking about, well, maybe it's OK. It's working out OK for me. But what about my kids? Um And so it just you just become less and less effective within the fiat minds. And so and I've, and I've certainly found that personally and I've, I've um, personally you know i'm thinking about what i should do about that and i think a lot of plebs out there are maybe the same maybe they're like me i think there's a lot of us in the fiat minds who are have our minds elsewhere um and so i thought it would be useful for us to talk about this today gentlemen and to and to really dig into the maybe the you know some of the things that i've raised there and into a little bit more detail and hopefully it'll be useful to the plebs who are listening to this who are maybe thinking along similar lines so that's the that's the framing. Um, and for the first kind of concrete thing I thought we could discuss is, you know, let me start with this idea that, you know, Bitcoin is going to eat the world. We all say that on Noster or, you know, in our group chats or when we're when we're at our meetups, we're all convinced Bitcoin is going to eat the world. And what does that mean? Well, it means, you know, it's a, it's a monetary revolution. It means that, you know, you'd expect people more and more to at least be saving in Bitcoin. Uh, you'd expect them to at some point be using Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. Um, but it also means if you if you go and, and think about the kind of second, third order effects, that every single business at some point is going to become a Bitcoin business. I think Matt O'Dell's actually, this isn't an original idea. Matt O'Dell's talked about this. Um but if you if you really think about that, that what does that mean? It means every single industry and every single incumbent business, anything you can think about is up for grabs. Right. Um, for example, you know, take Amazon, Amazon, great company, large company, powerful company. But and, and could you ever, ever imagine them being uh, disrupted? Could you ever imagine a world where Amazon wasn't the dominant retailer? And yet, you know, if you go back 20 years maybe it's 30 now but whatever whatever it is when you go back and amazon was had just started and you would have said okay this this country's going to this this company's going to eat the world a lot of people would have laughed at you they wouldn't they wouldn't have believed it and yet it happened right um and the momentum was on their side now they're a very fiat company they're fiat first they're completely kyc 
um, if we're moving to a Bitcoin standard, then and and uh, you know this is and this is something that Amazon are going to ha- either have to embrace and completely change their DNA from the inside out, or there's going to be a Bitcoin first online retailer who's going to be a disruptor, is going to challenge Amazon. So as a Bitcoin builder, you could be the next Jeff Bezos, right? Well, why not? And of course, people are going to laugh at that. Of course, it sounds preposterous. Every, I'm sure Jeff Bezos was laughed at when he started Amazon. Nobody, you know, very few people believed in him. So, but it, but if, if, if what we're saying is true, that Bitcoin is going to eat the world, and, ev- and that means that every business is at some point going to be a Bitcoin business, then surely somebody has to disrupt Amazon. Um, and so, you know, that's one idea. Or another idea is that, well, no, in actual fact, there's going to be a period of bifurcation. And that, you know, there's not going to be a Bitcoin first Amazon. It's ridiculous. The government would never allow it. But what there is going to be is there's going to be a free economy, which is the Bitcoin economy. And maybe that's something like a decentralized, you know, um, retail kind of mechanism on Nostra using Bitcoin. And there's going to be the permissioned CBDC economy. There's going to be it's going to be bifurcation. Um, And so, you know, that's how it's going to play out. And if that's the case. Where do you want to be? Can you be in both systems? Should you be building on the Bitcoin system? Is the Bitcoin system where the growth is going to be? Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that's my initial thoughts on, you know, why I think this is an important conversation to have in terms of the macroeconomic trends, if you like. Um, but before we dig into the details, gentlemen, any any comments on those kind of two visions that i've outlined there one where bitcoin eats the world and everything becomes a bitcoin business or the second vision where we bifurcate and we have two different economies i could see it going either way and i could i mean i can see it going both ways in different places i think maybe within each country it'll be one or the other um but like let's say america goes that route of there's a white market that's fiat CBDCs and then a black market that's still operating and still has a fair amount of liquidity uh, in Bitcoin. Uh, But at the same time, El Salvador still exists, right? And they're totally permitting in the white market Bitcoin to continue and flourish and be used. Um, I don't think there will be a completely global um, world where it's, it, all Bitcoin use gets pushed underground. Yeah, I mean, it, the um, it, it's it's very unlikely that things happen at the at the tail, right at the tail end, right the um, the the complete lockdown of Bitcoin use is as unlikely as um, the complete domination and total market capture of bitcoin right um so it 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 seems to me that there will always be somewhere that use of bitcoin as money is acceptable and the way things are are playing out it's not so much that 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 bitcoin can't be used at all, it's just it has to be used on a crappy paper basis um, that is 
not real Bitcoin. It, you know, it's a paper Bitcoin that gets shuffled about and is controlled, or at least that's the ideal world in which the, the regulators at top put the thing. If they can't kill it entirely, they can at least capture it and, and uh, deball it, right? So hopefully that, that that's not one that comes. So as for Amazon, I mean, it, it's, it's always hard to know, right? Somebody like Jeff Bezos, now I realize he doesn't run it anymore, but you know, the people at the top, you know, Tim Cooks and whatnot, none of them are, are unaware of, of Bitcoin's existence. They, they talk about it and they mention it. Um, Buffett, you know, we talked about it before, you know, obviously hates it, but it's not like he doesn't know what it is. You have somebody like a Jamie, Jamie Dian, Diamond, who also, you know, is not unaware of this thing. It's not like he, he, he doesn't know what this thing is, probably knows the ins and outs of it better than, than we do. Um, that doesn't mean that he, that he likes it. So I would imagine something like an Amazon has a plan for both outcomes. If, if Bitcoin rips and you see $250,000 Bitcoin by 2025, I think they have some idea of what they, they hope to do with it or how to integrate it. I also think they have an idea to do if it um, continues to exist, but it, you know, it is, operates on a black market level under the surface, um, perhaps you know, uh, taking away their ability to control uh, trade on on an international level. So I'll be, you know, I think it they have plans for whatever happens, and however they, you know, however the uh, the, the, the 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 road turns. Because I don't think for them they have any um, vested interest one way or the other. Because they can, they have the they have the, the the power to buy up as much as they need, and if it runs up, they can, you know, exist on top of you know on top of that that system for a while um, until yeah you know they get they get displaced. But that's you know fifty sixty years until they turn into Sears or something, which is you know seventy years down the line. So given oh sorry Mike you got something. Oh, given that, um, do we? I say, I, I say, I, there's a couple of different ways we can talk about this, right? Like Amazon, what does it mean to be a Bitcoin company? I mean, one of the things is the kind of Michael Saylor thing, where a company takes our um, has a treasury strategy, which is centered maybe even around Bitcoin or a square block, with, where Bitcoin is a factor in the treasury. That's one very kind of simple way to think about it but i think about it more in terms of being connected kind of natively into this open permissionless monetary network um a bit like you know if you're um if you're going back a few years now and you're looking at a google or an amazon and you say okay what what was the big enabler in their success well, i would argue one maybe one of the biggest factors was they're embracing open technologies in that case you know something like the linux kernel and so building up your systems on an open permissionless um you know operating system um is 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 a, is a big factor in their success and and maybe you had many of the incumbents at that time who were using proprietary proprietary things and actually felt that was safer um, and that, you know, they were backing the more conservative, the safer horse. And yet the fact that Amazon, the likes of Amazon, Google had this open permissionless, you know, operating system to work with, they were able to move a lot faster. They were able to, you know, modify that 
in in ways that help their business. They were more nimble. They were able to scale, etc. So, you know, my thinking is when when I when I think Bitcoin business, I don't I don't necessarily even think holding Bitcoin on the treasury. Though, of course, that would be part of it. I think more native integration with the likes of the Lightning Network, um, and you know, I I don't I don't see that there'll ever be a compelling event for Amazon to go in to the extent that they would change their entire DNA. And what, I think there's a word for that, right? It's like the uh, incumbent's dilemma or something where, you know, they're, they're essentially it's it's a, maybe a high growth. I think we're all expecting Bitcoin and Lightning to be high growth going forward. And if you connect to the network as a small company, you can perhaps double your size every year or every couple of years. And so it's, it's a no-brainer. But for Amazon, it's it's tiny. It's tiny. And I mean, Andy, you said that you raised the point that none of these CEOs are unaware of Bitcoin, and I'm sure that's right. But I'm sure that at the end of any of analysis, the conclusion of any of analysis that they have at a board level is this is just too small for us. This isn't just this just just isn't worth our time to bother with. And I feel like at the time when you know it does become a size that the likes of Apple, the likes of Amazon should be concerned about, it's already too late. And there's already some competitor that has emerged who is natively integrated, is Bitcoin first, is smartly integrated. The DNA is, is, is you know, Bitcoin Lightning. And they're just more nimble and they're able to scale faster and they've just got that momentum behind them, which means ultimately, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of time before they overtake the incumbents. And I, f- I feel like we might, you know, of course, there is the factor of, you know, government crackdowns and, you know, regulatory issues, but potentially, you know, if, if, if Bitcoin can overcome those, we could see, you know, the major disruption of these incumbents for the, for those reasons. I, I do believe that, uh, I, I do believe that, um, these, a lot of these new Bitcoin companies will be the ones that dominate in these old industry players, whether it's, uh, in the banking industry or the tech industry or whatever, um, they'll try to compete to some extent, but I don't think they'll ever have as much prestige and respect when it comes to being a Bitcoin company or providing Bitcoin tools and services as some of these Bitcoin startups that have emerged over the last 10 years uh, will in the future. I, I like, And I think maybe those, those companies, those, those big tech companies can still pay people more in the meantime like during a transitionary state, like if you're a software engineer, they can probably pay you more and you might view it as a, if you're a Bitcoiner, you might view that as a good way to mine fiat. But I think over time, they're going to lose their prestige, their status as being uh, like cool places to work. And it'll just be viewed as more of a temporary thing that you want to, you want to be at temporarily before you go and get uh, get a job in, in like the Bitcoin industry at these cooler companies. And maybe those companies won't even be based in the U S if the U S's regulations are, um, <clears throat> tr- keep trying to attack the industry and, and are unfavorable towards Bitcoin companies. Maybe they will be in a, other places like El Salvador or headquartered at least. Huh. Sorry, go ahead, Andy. No, please. The uh, no, make it yeah, make it just uh, adding that uh, it's it's even hard. It, I mean, when when you're speaking uh, when we're uh, you know forecasting things like this, it's always you know uh, disruption in in some kind of way that we've 
kind of can can in, envision, but I don't think you know anybody from the retail industry would have seen 30 years ago that Amazon, through its you know particular network, would have gone about destroying the in-person retailing uh, industry the way that it did through this online platform. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting to see what are in what way uh, Bitcoin disrupts. Um, I don't think the the very nature of Bitcoin allows allows for a giant retailer as such to do a Walmart-esque uh, uh, cleansing or clearing out of, of small businesses. I think some of Bitcoin's property, uh, properties lead to more um, uh, a, a blooming of a thousand, whatever, you know, whatever the expression is, but like a bunch of small things, which all in their own little way nip at um something like an amazon or whatever and they don't there isn't one that takes it down as such as a million different things kind of pop up as people have the ability to move and transact without you know that centralizing factor um or at least part of me hopes <laughs> that's the case back to you yeah I, th I think that's a great point and i think also you know bitcoin as being a deflationary store of value could possibly even be a a tailwind to bring that about right where we see in the fiat world that essentially you have to continue to grow you have to continue to lower costs you have to increase the scale of your business in order just to survive because as we know you know fiat is this kind of giant melting ice cube uh, and we, as we know, there's so much inflation because governments just keep printing paper money and that has to be hidden somehow. And, and, and the way it's hidden is things like outsourcing of jobs, you know, you know, sourcing products from uh, markets where the labor is cheaper, um, just efficient efficiencies, I guess, economies of scale, you know, whereby it gets to the point where it's only a, a, a moth like a Walmart or an Amazon who can bring goods to market at, at a profitable amount, uh, you know, money, but while still being affordable. Now, that's the fiat world. And it's created this world of, you know, this, this horrible world, really, where we're all shopping in these large supermarkets and we're doing these jobs in our, you know, sort of, sort of fiat corps and uh, cubicle jobs and what have you. And just everything's quite soulless and we're very disconnected from communities, etc. And, you know, I, I tend to think a lot of these things come back to the fiat incentives. And I tend to think that Bitcoin prioritizes maybe a different set of incentives. And that to your point, Andy, that, you know, if we, even if we don't see a Walmart or an Amazon emerge, maybe that's actually a good thing. And um, because we have a deflationary store of value, if you're able to take, um, accept Bitcoin and, and, and um, for your goods and services, even if you're, you know, not making, you know, the traditional mindset would be, I want to make millions. Um, you know, maybe you're making an honest living, but the fact is that the store of value, the, the you know, the money that you're earning there is kind of a, increasing in purchasing power over time. So it's enough, right? So if, if I just, I just have, I'm just giving value to my community and I'm not scaling the business up, but, you know, I'm, I'm providing value. I'm getting paid for that. And my money's increasing in purchasing power over time. And so I'm, I'm okay. I'm able to live and, and to thrive and to raise my family. So maybe there's there's some hope as well in in terms of Bitcoin's monetary policy and being deflationary or disinflationary that, um, you know, we could see some better in incentives emerge. And, and, and yeah, like, as you say, a flowering of a thousand, you know, small businesses where 
you know, there's, there's more, the, the net result is there are more CEOs out there, right? There's more people who are sort of owning their own business and, it, you know, feeling like they, they, they own that, they own and they're in control of their lives a little bit more than, than right now. So any, any thoughts on that? How do you think someone like Michael Saylor fits in to that? Right. Like, I mean, assuming that, um, I don't know when he's going to stop or where it's like when the next bull cycle comes to where he has to like his portion of the total supply of Bitcoins that he's amassing is going to start to slow down or like basically um, reach a limit. But at the current rate, he's just continuing. I think he's above, he's approaching 1% of the total supply, right? So in a world where he controls 1% of all the money in a totally hyper Bitcoinized world, I mean, there can't be thousands or tens of thousands or millions of businesses of equal size to his, right? Or like people of equal political economic power as him or as he has. Yes. Yeah, sale is a fascinating example. Um, so you, so your argument is if, you know, if, if, if Bitcoin does like a 10, even a hundred X from here, then he's going to have, I mean, he's he's going to be he's probably what is that, is 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 MicroStrategy then going to be the largest market cap business, right? They'll displace an Apple, for example. And what would that dynamic look like? Because he's just a beer moth, right? Right, right. And I mean, well, if it if the price doesn't do a ten x anytime soon, and he can just spend another ten years, assuming he doesn't change his strategy or whatever. Uh, if he can just spend another 10 years accumulating more and more and more, and he, instead of having 1%, he gets up to 2%, 3%. I mean, that just reduces the uh, the number of alternative business or businessmen who can even come close to him the, the farther it goes. I mean, but e but even if it just, we experienced complete global hyper-Bitcoinization now, Bitcoin goes to, Bitcoin goes to like a million dollars per Bitcoin, Um you're not going to have a, a million companies the same size as MicroStrategy at that point, or what Michael Saylor's uh, umbrella of companies, whatever he ends up doing, right? He's going to have totally outsized influence compared to everyone else. Well, in that case, wouldn't wouldn't the um, incentive structures uh, change such that he becomes a new bank? You know, he he doesn't even he he's a, he. I mean, in in such a world, he he doesn't exist as a company anymore. And in uh, MicroStrategy, they might have a huge gazillion dollar balance, um, uh, the, the reserve, but the, their business still might suck. I mean, so it doesn't necessarily translate into the microstrategy itself being a, a particularly interesting company. They might have an infinite amount of cash, but they might not be doing anything particular interest with it, right? Right. And I mean, I think that's probably what would happen. It's not like he's going to continue to be doing, what does he even do? Like business analytics, sales, marketing type stuff. Um, I, like that's obviously not going to be the core business at that point going forward. And it'll be much more like something much more like Warren Buffett, where he's basically just an investor uh, and he's just managing a portfolio of other companies where other people are doing all the work and like uh, in their various industries. I mean, in, to it, basically that's what happened with Amazon to a certain extent. Right. I mean, Amazon originally was, uh, wasn't it just the bookstore, like online books, shipping books, and then it kind of grew into all of these other industries that it didn't start out as, and it just amassed more and more capital and it was able to just enter more and more industries. Now it's known for things like still, it has the online shopping at the everything store, 
right? Which I don't think that was even the original intention, but then it's moved into like AWS, the cloud, um, it's moved into media or right? Amazon prime video or whatever, uh, and, and a bunch of other industries. So I, I would assume that micro Michael Saylor would try to take micro strategy in a similar direction as that. And he'll just get involved in all kinds of other industries, including Bitcoin only companies. Um, but I guess the, the reason I bring it up is because I don't think like in that world, you still will have the equivalent of the Jeff Bezos or the, the Warren Buffett, because it'll be him. It'll just be different people. Yeah, I think I, I've got two thoughts on that on Sailor in particular. One, two, I think I think you both raised this point, but it, it makes perfect sense that Sailor would become an investor, um, a kind of angel investor or what have you. And I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. But one is, like, I feel like Sailor needs to move to building on Bitcoin and seeing Bitcoin as an open uh, permissionless monetary network. But seeing that unless we get, you know, building on Bitcoin, unless we get more privacy tools, unless we get more circular economy, unless we get more bit, Bitcoin first businesses, you know, Bitcoin isn't, isn't going to succeed, actually. Um, and that, and so Bitcoin lives or dies by people building on on the ecosystem on the ecosystem, right? Um, and I think he gets that. And I think he, you know, he's made some moves which suggest that you know he's kind of lining himself up to do that. Like I know he split out the company, so he got macro strategy and micro strategy now. And then he's he's moved away from the day to day with micro strategies, left that to one of his lieutenants. Um, and he's now focusing on the micro strategy, which is more around the Bitcoin. I think he's he's looking to invest in lightning projects. Um, I think there was some interesting criticism from Jack Dorsey on Nostra. I don't know if you saw that um, this week where Jack was telling him he, he replied to one of his uh, notes that it was time to stop with the, you know, the words and, and actually do some action, which, um, you know, what one thing, you know, you've got to praise jack for he's been very he's i mean he's a builder right and he's he's been doing he's been you know involved in bitcoin miners bitcoin wallets etc so he's 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 working to make you know building on bitcoin he's working to make bitcoin successful by being a builder and i think he's challenging sailor in that way now i think sailor must know that and i think another point is related to this is the incentives right so the fiat incentives meant that if traditionally if you were a um uh, you're super rich if you'd made it. Um, you, you think of what your incentives are. Because you, 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 you know that all your money is permissioned. All right, so you could be a billionaire. There's even a line in um, what was the pr- pr- the drama on Netflix with Kevin Spacey that when he, when he was the president. I remember he said this line in that where he said um, he was talking about a lawyer and he said he made the mistake of choosing money over power. And I remember at the time when I was watching that I, I just kind of didn't understand because to me I was I always I've always been the guy that chose money over power right I always just wanted an easy life I wanted just to have enough money to enjoy my life but then years later thinking about what Spacey said in that it, it, it hit home that you know if you did have a significant amount of money and you realize it's permissioned and you don't have any power then you're in you're at risk of someone coming along and taking it all away and so typically for somebody like a you know a, a Bezos or a, or a Bill Gates or whatever they're going to be getting involved in politics and they're going to have to be involved in politics to, to, to keep hold of their money. And I think we're seeing that with Gates being involved in all sorts of things poli- um, politically. And I think, it, and, that, and it's, and it comes down to that. Um, and also if you have a lot of money in the fiat world, you can use that money to get again, politically connected, to get closer to the money printer, to keep 
producing more and more money at everyone else's expense. And this is why we see the concentration of wealth and the inequalities emerge, et cetera. And I feel like in Bitcoin, there's a completely different set of incentives. So even if sailors, you know, purchasing power were to 10x, 100x, and he just became this huge, you know, sort of big, big swinging dick, right? Um, he wouldn't be able, like to Mike's point, I think you made this point, Mike, but he wouldn't be able to leverage that to dominate industries or, you know, necessarily bribe, he wouldn't be able to bribe politicians so he could get more Bitcoin, right? Um, which, which, which was typically the game. Plus, he doesn't have to worry about it being seized so much because, of course, one of, one of the assets we know with Bitcoin is that you can take custody yourself and he could move to different jurisdictions, et cetera, to protect his wealth. So I think the incentives align more with him either through altruism or just through sheer um, self-interest to see his personal wealth grow. He needs to make sure there's building on Bitcoin. And so he just needs to become an investor. He needs to either with his own company, um, be making things on Bitcoin or he needs to be an angel investor. He needs to be like a, a sort of 1031, right? Where he's going and he's, he's giving grants to grants or investments to Bitcoin only companies. And, you know, and so we're seeing this flowering of a thousand different entrepreneurial endeavors, right? And it's, and it's, and it's thanks to the likes of Sailor. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's how I, um, that's how I see it playing out. Maybe that's a, an overly optimistic take. I don't know. I mean, that would, that would be interesting if he, well, if he reaches that kind of a position, I think he would, he absolutely will get involved in, um, in politics. Right. And I mean, if he's looking for something to do, hopefully he doesn't go the route of what Bill Gates did. I mean, I don't know, like who knows what Bill Gates is ultimately doing or trying to do or what's motivating him. But, um, <clears throat> hopefully he doesn't turn to this kind of like altruism, uh, uh, doing all these kinds of altruistic missions <laughs> where he's trying to like promote soy farms and c cut down meat consumption and push the whole like anti-energy thing and drink poop water, and get other people to do all this stuff too. I mean, uh, I don't, sailor doesn't seem, seem like the type who would go down that route. I think like if you look at old Bill Gates stuff, he, it's much more credible that he would lead to where he is now than someone like sailor. Sailor doesn't seem like that type at all, but, um, uh, yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out. But I, I think that I, at any rate, he's going to be getting involved in politics to preserve his, like you said, if, if his, if he's going to be under attack where people are going to try to come for his money and his business or, or whatever, like he, he's of course going to get involved in, in politics to ensure that, uh, or to, to, as a defense mechanism against those kinds of attacks. He already is right with, you know, you got the mining council, uh, whatnot. And he's always, you know, you see him bouncing around DC all the time. Um, so I think, you, I mean, you can kind of see that already in, in action. Um, I'm also curious uh, with the current system, right? You know, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, these types, they can hoard, they can do business at the same time as they hoard, you know, the cantillionaire effect. They're able to hold on to money, let it accrue through the system that currently exists while also dominating other players. But in a theoretical um, Bitcoin, Bitcoinized type system, you can't do that. To participate, to play the game, is going to cost you money. You're going to have to spend, you know, the, the Bitcoin will actually leave your coffers. Um, and, you know, just human nature is like people just don't, I mean, that, that's one of the big uh, complaints everybody has like, well, you know, the world is going to die because rich people are just going to hold on to their Bitcoin and not spend it. But that just, goes against all that is 
human nature. People, I mean, you can see that with um, schmucks now. I mean, you see these these fools that have accrued hundreds or thousands of Bitcoin through trading or getting lucky or whatever. Um, and inevitably they they blow it or they lose it or they spend it or they get into shit coins or something else like that. So um, there isn't um, necessarily a concern of hoarding in the same kind of way um, because in the end it, it gets dispersed even if it's lost. Yeah, I mean, and besides, who cares if they're if they're hoarding? Then that means that they are um, driving up the per the purchasing power of the bitcoins that you're holding. So if you're the if you want to go out and do things now, you can you have more purchasing power with the, with your savings that you want to spend to invest in whatever you're doing, uh, and, uh, because of the fact that they're not doing the same, because they're not spending and, and taking up those same resources that the bitcoin can purchase, the finite resources out there in the in, in the economy and circulation. So that's why I'm not I'm not concerned about like the hoarding threat or the deflationary death spiral, like this Paul Krugman economics stuff, like that's all nonsense. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. Um so well I think I think we can all agree that it you know it seems that the incentives going forward are for are for there to be more entrepreneurial in ship than there is now by that i mean you know we're going to get disruption but at the same time it's not necessarily this zero-sum kind of fiat game where you get to the seat at the cantillionaire's table and you, you you can block everyone else out in fact under the bitcoin standard we expect there to be more maybe you know small small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and businesses and all of this sounds great but let's let's just assume that this goes you know uh, that way for the for the purposes of the uh, next topic next part of the discussion how should a pleb you know be positioning themselves then to best take advantage of this new world and um specifically um maybe we could start by talking about the relative merits of entrepreneurship so building your own business being your own C ceo um versus looking for a job in a bitcoin company and being an em employee do you guys have any thoughts on on those two on which which is the which is the better path for people to take my personal opinion is like i don't i don't think it's worth um switching over for ideological reasons uh, because you think it's better for Bitcoin and like you're attacking fiat in some sense to take a lower paying job that pays you in Bitcoin rather than a higher paying one that pays you in fiat. All, all, if all else is equal, I mean, sometimes the work that you're doing for that job in Bitcoin is productive for like spreading Bitcoin or something like that. But are helping people to use it, helping other people to use it. But I mean, pushing liquidity into Bitcoin itself is good for the Bitcoin network. It's good for people who use Bitcoin, and it gives them purchasing power. So that's why I think, like, even what Michael Saylor is doing is very helpful to people all over the world who use Bitcoin, especially poor people who need purchasing power. But and they're hold, and they're able to hold some Bitcoin. The more Michael Saylor buys it, the more purchasing power they have to use in their in their lives. So um, you mining fiat and converting it into Bitcoin and being able to do that with a larger amount of liquidity is good for Bitcoiners. Just before I 
bring Andy into comment, though, let me challenge you on that. Let me play devil's advocate a bit for the sake of the discussion and say, you know, you could have said the same thing to somebody 20 years ago or whatever who was thinking of taking a job at this small startup called Google no one had heard of, right? And maybe they had a job at, uh, I don't know, uh, GE or somewhere, you know, big company, famous company. And it's like, well, why would you take a pay cut to go and work there? Are we not seeing a similar thing now? If we're, if what we're saying, what we're thinking about Bitcoin is right, is the momentum, is the growth not coming from the you know Bitcoin first companies going forward? And if so, should you not be going to where the puck is going to be and not where it is now? And even if that means taking a pay cut in the short term, is it not more sensible to be thinking, okay, well, I'm going to ride this wave going forward? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think in the sense that you could be like, let's say you're a talented, young individual who is like bringing your talents to produce unimportant things at GE, but GE is paying you twice as much as Google would. Um, so in the fact that you're like, you can bring your skills and your work to help assuming Google is a good thing, <laughs> but like to help build up Google in that early stage, uh, that I guess would be, it would be good because that, that would help spread this new, this new product, this new technology, this new build up this new industry. But as far as like you in the personal gains that you make for uh, like you, you could just take the higher income at GE and then invest it into Google and you still make all the gains. Right. And you're still helping Google pr by providing them with liquidity in that sense or in that scenario. Yeah, but just completely putting away all the ideological stuff. I'm I'm talking completely about self-interest here. If you got okay. in a Google, if you got in a Google early, right? Like, I think that would be a lot better than a GE. I mean, oh, but you okay, can get in. You can get in as an investor, right? You could get in I mean, as an investor. You can, but can you imagine that ride? Can you imagine of being like employee number ten at Google and just doing like five or ten years? And okay, you we know, we all know what Google became, but I mean. Just thinking back to how what a wild ride that must have been, how exciting, and of course very financially uh, rewarding as well. And it's not just about the money though, right? It's about the excitement, it's like that, like just that, uh, just right, to experience right. something like that. Mm. Right. So I mean, uh, when it comes that, I guess that's what that would be the key thing is like if you want to direct your personal energy, your labor, your brain power, or whatever, um, to building up a particular thing that you have an interest in then and you have uh, a specialization or some kind of expertise that like it won't happen without you then then absolutely i think it's worth it I, but I, I um i think that that has to be a more specific thing and not just like a generic if you're just like a generic ideological person who's like oh i really like bitcoin and i hate fiat and uh, i want to support this whole thing i think um, if you don't have a particular thing in mind that you're going to help build um, that other people can't do without you, um, why not just mine the higher amount of fiat and just provide liquidity to the Bitcoin network by buying it and, ho and holding it? And you'll make the gains in the long run anyway. Yeah, okay. I, I, I guess, agree yeah, with you. You miss out, you miss out on, the, on the prestige of it all, right? I think that's well, what you were getting at. There's that. Um, so I, I think that, that, that staying in your fiat job, mining fiat, is totally an option. It, it, it was on the list to discuss. I, I think we can all agree that that's an option, right? I think for the sake of the discussion going forward, let's just imagine that the fiat system is collapsing imminently and that Bitcoin is Bitcoinization, hyper Bitcoinization is more imminent than we think. It could happen in the next 10 years. Let's just imagine for the sake of the discussion that that is going to happen. 
I would I would argue that that then the impetus is as as an individual, you know, buying Bitcoin's one thing, but you you want to be um where there's growth, where there's opportunity in your career. And that might not even be Bitcoin related. So you might decide, you know, okay, I'm a developer. Well, I'm just going to, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to move to taking payments in Bitcoin, you know, and I'm just going to make sure I get into that um, circular economy because that's where that's going to grow going forward. And people who stay in fiat are going to be screwed. We're going we're to have a depression. People are going to lose their jobs. And it's like, if people are not prepared, you know, they're like, they're going to be like, I'm talking about that level of, you know, danger potentially in staying in the fiat systems. So if you imagine that, let, let's just imagine that scenario. There's the impetus for you to get into, into Bitcoin, right? In, into this new grow, it, burgeoning Bitcoin e- ecosystem, right? And then let's, and what I wanted to, I was hoping to do on this, on this episode is we discuss options to do that. Does that does that make sense as a, as a sort of framing for the discussion or a hypothetical? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Thank you, sir. And Andy, Andy, any thoughts on um, on that? Well, uh, that the last was kind of an octopus, so I'm not exactly sure what to uh, <laughs> what uh, what to, to comment on. So I'll I'll let you t- uh, take it forward. And I'll jump in next. Okay, so well, what I was hoping to do, and maybe this is just a selfish thing, because you know, I'm I'm like that guy now. I'm, I'm like I'm working at GE. I'm not working at GE, but it's like you know, I'm working at somewhere like GE, and you know, I'm doing okay in the fiat world. But I've been thinking more and more recently, personally, that you know, I don't think, and you know, maybe part of it is like I wanna, I want some excitement. I want to go into the Bitcoin ecosystem because of that. But there is definitely also a sense of responsibility that if this thing is as big as we think it's going to be, this is a once in a lifetime thing, not just to hodl. That's great, but I'm talking about building a career, Bitcoin in a Bitcoin first kind of way, right? So whether that's starting a company, whether that's you know, I don't know. Let's say we start doing this podcast full time. We start doing seven days a week. Um, let's let, let, let's say you start making chocolate bars and selling that, you know, in Bitcoin. And and your whole thing is that you, you accept payments natively in Bitcoin. Maybe you only accept Bitcoin. Maybe you don't even bother with a legacy bank account. Like I was hoping we could talk about options for for doing that right as a pleb who is in the fiat system right now and maybe looking to escape or maybe thinking you should escape. Um, you know, what, what, what are the options? What have, what have you guys maybe thought of or um, what should people be thinking of or, ta- or, or keeping in mind when they're, when they're thinking of doing this? In this scenario, would the person be living on zero fiat and just like 100% Bitcoin? Every, every payment's coming in in Bitcoin and then I, I, I assume you'd have to buy things in fiat just because the suppliers for what you need various things that you need to consume wouldn't would require that you pay them in fiat but maybe you could just use a credit card for that right you could you could do the whole get on zero thing is that what you were uh imagining here yeah it's 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 to embrace bitcoin as much as possible the ideal would be to get paid in bitcoin to pay out in bitcoin but of course you're gonna you're gonna have to do what you can and so if that means getting from the bitcoin company you get visa cards to pay some bills or if that means you know you accept some fiat or you convert some bitcoin into fiat then you do that or you see that as a problem 
right? And you think, okay, well, that's my opportunity. And so you, you become a company that approaches other companies and says, look, there's people in your in your, your staff, you'll help your staff retention. If you um, accept Bitcoin payments, I can help facilitate that for you, right? And so it's just basically you you take on the mindset of somebody who's trying to, you're almost trying to escape, escape a, a sinking ship. You have that level of desperation. You you know that fiat is going to end. You know that You know that Bitcoin is going to grow. And so everything you do every day is just to try and move yourself closer into the kind of Bitcoin first ecosystem right whether that's as an entrepreneur or whether you actually just take on a job you know more and more jobs in the bitcoin space maybe as a freelancer or maybe you go and proactively attempt to get into the bitcoin space as, as an employee um right so it's just like that having that mindset and just pushing to get into that you know into that kind of world mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it it would fully prepare you, assuming you're doing it all directly, because there's like an indirect way that you could do these things too, right? Where you can, you could use services that let you pay for things in your, like for, on your side, you're paying for things in Bitcoin, but you're going through this middleman that makes it appear as fiat to the person you're trading with. And it can work the other way where your customers are paying in fiat, but to you, it lands in your wallet as Bitcoin. I think there are some services that work both ways for those kinds of things. Um, but I guess in your hypothetical, you, you don't even want to imagine that kind of a situation or system because in, upon this fiat collapse, then that, that whole process would collapse too. Right. And then you're going to be scrambling in the chaos along with everyone else, aside from the fact that you have Bitcoin savings. Yeah, correct. So, I mean, ideally, and just, I, I just think about the opportunity, right? Now, let's say if you have, uh, you develop some kind of app. Right. And it could be like, a, uh, I don't know, schedule management or it could be like a contacts management system. And it's something maybe someone as an individual could use or it's something as maybe a small business could use. But let's say if you if you could make that and you could offer that as a subscription in Bitcoin. Now, let's say it was just like ten dollars a month or something like that. But let's say yeah. you could get a hundred, you know, 200 users who are paying you 10 bucks a month equivalent in Bitcoin. Right. And you didn't have to worry about bank accounts because it's all, all the payments in Bitcoin. Um, and you just, you know, you file your taxes, you file your taxes, right? But you, um, but, but the, 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 all that friction is removed of interfacing with the legacy financial system. And then all of a sudden you've got this, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it would be easy, but if you, if you could do that, if you could get a few hundred subscribers to your, whatever service it was, you'd all of a sudden have be financially independent, right? In terms of you'd have an income stream in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So something like that, I think would be very to me, that, like, and 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 the more I think about it, the thing I think I think we're thinking too small with Bitcoin because if 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 it really is going to eat the world, every single thing you're looking at now on your computer, for example, like uh, you know we're using this uh, app we're using to record, or um, you know whatever we we're using this app we're we're using to have the show notes, but everything in the future is going to be actually like a Bitcoin first thing, and there's you know it might not be everything, but at least Bitcoiners would prefer to use Bitcoin first tools, right? And so if you can build that and you can be the first to build that and there are so many things there to build then you can there's there's your road to financial independence there's your road to escape the fiat system you know and and maybe maybe you're not a dev but maybe you go and hire a dev or you you get a freelancer or maybe you learn you learn to code or maybe you learn to use chat gpt right so i'm just thinking with that kind of like like it's almost like the american frontier or whatever right i mean you think back in the day when when the us was first discovered and for those people who chose to leave europe and were like okay well you can get a patch of land in the us you can you know you can build your own thing that was the that was the original sort of american dream before it turned into a joke right but um 
we, we're almost we've got that now this this like digital frontier um in in cyberspace right where you know like i said before it's 24 7 365 uh, no no boundaries for language no boundaries for for borders um and so for the for those people who embrace this wave like okay maybe you're not gonna be jeff bezos but you can be in a in a nice position financially you can be financially independent yeah so just by the way this is dash's polite and culturally Japanese way of telling the audience to stream us sets <laughs> on this podcast. But uh, and, this whole episode has been a psyop to get more uh, donations. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, I, I mean, I, I completely support that. And I think getting it directly, I think that's the key though, is it, it, getting it directly into your Bitcoin wallet, whether it's a lightning or on chain um, is, is the key. Cause you don't want to be relying on, between the person paying you and you receiving it, uh, you don't want to be relying on some kind of fiat middleman system that's all tied up in fiat systems that's going to go down with the sinking ship uh, in this scenario. Uh, the one, I guess, big red flag to be careful of, though, is this is how, especially in a period of extreme volatility, this is how people can get wrecked with taxes. Like if you got a bunch of these payments and then you owe money, but you're holding it all in Bitcoin and the price was really high at the time and then the tax year ends and then the price crashes, but you're still holding all the Bitcoin, you still owe those fiat denominated taxes. And uh, I know a lot of traders get wrecked that way or have historically. So that's that's one of the things that you got to pay attention, at least until your country has Bitcoin legal tender laws. But I feel like most Bitcoiners are aware enough to to, to do that, to, to, to make sure that they're tracking that. You have more faith in your average Bitcoiner than I do. The um, uh, Yeah, I mean, the whole discussion kind of revolves around um, uh, the, 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 the idea of, of, of getting involved. Um, I, I do think that at this stage, and this, this would be interesting because, you know, how would you know? Uh, how much uh, of Bitcoin, because it seems like everybody in Bitcoin kind of has the desire, or at least kind of the, the, the idea in the, in the back of their head to be entrepreneurial in some some sense. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's a chicken, it's kind of a chicken and egg question. I don't know if, if the Bitcoin, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the way Bitcoin operates kind of pushes people into that direction or if we're still small enough so that it's a self-selecting bias towards a certain type of person gets involved in Bitcoin so that they can, uh, that, that such that, you know, those, those people in it are, are of the entrepreneurial type, uh, type spirit. Um, but it would be interesting to see going forward if it, if it becomes, uh, ubiquitous, uh, does that change, um, where, because right now people, you know, often will take, the uh, the corporate ladder job, no expectation of building their own thing, but they'll just get on the on the on the gravy train to the six seven figure a year salary. Um, that's the goal to be some kind of C suite executive. But if you know um, a Bitcoin type standard uh, were to be implemented, would uh, would we see that uh, shift people's perspective into wanting something? Uh, of their own name, some to to have some kind of ownership over uh, whatever thing they were building, perhaps something you know Dash has mentioned a few times, something like the American um, 
expansion westward or something from America, 1850, where everyone seemed like they were doing uh, doing something entrepreneurial of their own accord. Um, it's hard to see going forward which one that is. Would it uh, devolve into similar to what we have now, or would there be kind of a a, uh, a reinvigoration of kind of an entrepreneurial spirit? Be curious to see which one uh, developed over time. Yeah, and I think that it's important to point out that like this entrepreneurial aspect to the whole thing doesn't have to exclude a lot of people who like it doesn't have to be these tech tools that you're building and doing all this stuff on the internet. I mean, you can. Um, you can be a normie who has like a food truck and is selling food for Bitcoin. Uh, that's, that f fits into this whole category, right? Uh, and I, as far as I know, I mean, I, I haven't been to any of these places, but isn't that the way it's working with all of these businesses in these Bitcoin cities like El Zante and the, uh, the one in the Philippines and elsewhere in the world? Like most of the businesses that are dealing in Bitcoin nowadays, or at least partially in Bitcoin, directly on chain or, or on lightning they're they're just selling normal things they're not doing anything high tech they're not doing startups or, or anything like that they just have regular brick and mortar or retail businesses yeah that's my understanding from uh, you know I, I interviewed um bill at bitcoin island and he was telling me that yeah they just got these um these normie shops basically they set them up they show them, they show them how easy it is to accept payments there's the promise of you know attracting tourist money um and then for the for these guys in the shops who you know they're not they're not making the the, the most amount of money i mean every opportunity to make more money is good um plus they're given the option right where they can um they can keep bitcoin or they can just change dollars i believe it's dollars or, or it's the local currency sorry it may be in the philippines um and so, yeah, I mean, that's and, 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 to, and to your point, Mike, yeah, exactly. So not it doesn't have to be. I mean, I think the real opportunity is something like that, where it's kind of online native, where it scales just globally, where you, you can just get you can just get all unbelievable success overnight, potentially. Right. If it catches on amongst the Bitcoin community. But at the same time, oh, totally. You could totally be an, a, a normie. Um, maybe you're just roasting coffee or maybe you're just making chocolate bars or maybe you're just like, you've got a, a bee, a bee hive farm. What do you call those? A, there's a fancy word for there's a Latin word for it, I've forgotten, but, um, and you can be selling honey. Right. And, um, I think that would probably come to a point that I, I made a little down the list where, um, at what point does Bitcoin become kind of fuck you money to the extent that, for example, something like that, which might be like half, not even like a business it might be like half a hobby right where you just like make you're roasting coffee or you're making chocolate bars maybe you don't expect to be jeff jeff bezos doing that maybe you don't even expect to really pay the bills but if you've held some bitcoin over the years and it's appreciated to the extent that maybe you can live on that those savings then maybe maybe you say to yourself okay well i'm going to do this because it's fun and because i'm supporting the circular economy that's a nice benefit you know, and I'm making myself a few sats. And so maybe we can expect Bitcoiners to actually emerge who are doing these things, right? Where who are doing these things half as a hobby um, and, and completely normy things perhaps. And that, yeah, I don't know, that, that, that could be something interesting as well. What do you think, do, do, do you expect to see more of that going forward as the price appreciates or is everyone just going to be driving around in Lambos? <laughs> um, well, I hope so. And I, I just thought of this on the uh, on the spot, but I wonder if there could be, um, if we do have a prolonged period of like a hybrid where a lot of stores are accept 
are starting to do this. Maybe in the next bull run, it, Bitcoin has piqued enough people's interests. Like maybe if it's at $100,000, people will finally be like, wow, I really want to get involved in this or, or uh, start using it for myself. Um, but if every, imagine the majority of stores in your neighborhood are like hybrid fiat, hybrid Bitcoin, they accept Bitcoin and they accept fiat. Do you remember? I don't know if they had it in England, but in the, in the, back in the U S there was like this thing where you could go into a retail store and you use your debit card and you could treat, as long as you just bought anything at the store, like any item for $1 or something, you could treat the store as a ATM to get like withdraw money from your account. So they'll just charge it to your card and they'll give you the cash for the difference. Um, I wonder if you could do that with non-KYC Bitcoin, both buying and selling. If every, if every store is just using Bitcoin, has, has Bitcoin on, uh, in their wallet, like active at the store, just like they use a cash register. Uh, and then they have a cash register full of cash. They could be provide, everyone could be providing this as basically the Azteco service. And they could even be doing it on the spot because they're holding both the fiat and the Bitcoin just from their sales volume. Well, this is another good point. And let me preface this by saying you, you should always pay your taxes. We're big. We're pro tax paying on this podcast. And so make sure everybody <laughs> listening file your taxes. But I mean, what one of the potential advantages, at least with having a smaller business, is to be a little bit tax efficient, right? A little bit clever with how you how you sort of doing your taxes and 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 then businesses yeah they have these options to perhaps you know be entrepreneurial there with how they get the liquidity and how they you know how they get their their dollars for bitcoin etc so um and i think well and, but but i mean speaking seriously this is some this is something else i think about because what do you, i mean do you guys think the tax burdens are going to be going down on normie people working in corporations because that's where most of the taxes come from of course and I don't know about you guys, but I mean, most of my packet, pay packet goes to the government. And But I know, and I'm not even talking about any kind of tax evasion here, but if you're a small business, there are intelligent ways you can, you know, you can you can expense your, I don't know, your internet connection if you're in your house, if you're using that as a legitimate business expense, right? Well, you can't do that as a, as a salary man. So there's a, there's a lot of potential here as well for plebs to escape the fiat mines and in a, in a legal manner and always, always consult your, your CPA or what have you, but um, to, to just be more clever with how you manage taxes that, I mean, even, even something like that could, you know, be, be enough to, to, I I feel to push somebody to, to take the entrepreneurial route um, and just escape, just escape the tax slave fiat mines. So yeah, that's um, that's just just an idea I had on the spot. Any comments on, on to that? Yeah, I mean, to reiterate, yes, pro taxes. I I agree. We should all pay our taxes. Um, the um, I completely lost what I was going to say. Sorry. Yeah, the no, the entrepreneurial um, thing is. Um, Oh, I completely lost it. Please, somebody save me from this embarrassment. I completely forgot what I was going to say. No, I think yeah, I think the point is pay your taxes. We, you know, <laughs> our, our FBI agent listening, please. We, we, you know, we are encouraging people to pay the taxes. Um, so yeah, well, I, we we could move on to maybe. Um, I, I wanted to also discuss. Um, well, just this hold, before. Hold on, before we. I mean, it, we're coming up on two hours here. Do you want to, because um, this one's going to be, a, a, this is a really good topic, and it seems like probably be a couple of parts. Do you want to um, 
uh, land the plane here and then pick up uh, next time with uh, where you're where you're going to go with that? Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a good good point to do it. Yeah. Let's do that. Mike, any objections? No, that's all good. All right. Well, let's uh, let's end it here. I like uh, I like this one. This is good. It's interesting to try and uh, think about think about uh, Bitcoin as it goes uh, goes through a, not just a monetization but actual an, an implementation phase. So I'll be curious to see what actually what we what we talk about next time. Uh, but for uh, us, find us on Twitter and Noster at Tokyo Citadel. Uh, you can find us on our main site, which is TokyoCitadel.com. Support us on the Fountain app, as Mike and Dash have both said repeatedly. Support us with sats, uh, boost us on Fountain, or send us, uh, hit us up with some love on our site, building sovereignty, privacy, and hope into the Tokyo Citadel. See you next time.